This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Welcome to episode two of the TriDot Podcast. We have a great lineup of coaches and training insight for you today. So let's get right to it. I'm excited to be joined by TriDot founder and CEO, Jeff Boer. Jeff is the ultimate authority on optimized triathlon training. And more importantly for today, he is an excellent swim coach. Jeff, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks. Uh, glad to be here, Andrew. Really excited about the main set today. Uh, we're going to share a lot of things uh, that'll just help athletes achieve some big breakthroughs with their, with their uh, development of their swim form. Next up is coach and professional triathlete Elizabeth James. Elizabeth is both a Kona and Boston qualifier and has been coaching with TriDot since 2015. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. I'm very excited to be here today. And who am I? I'm your host, Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people and the captain of the middle of the pack. Listen, like any good workout, we here at TriDot like to ease into things with a little warm-up question. After that, we're going to dive headfirst into our main set conversation, which today is all about addressing the eight common barriers holding triathletes back from improving in their swim training. Then we'll cool down with a race recon of what it's like to be on course at Ironman Louisville. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. Jeff, Elizabeth, for our warm-up today, I'm going to ask you to be just a little bit open and honest. We all know that embarrassing moments are great when they didn't happen to us. So for my amusement and the joy of all of our listeners, tell me what is your most embarrassing triathlon story? Elizabeth? Oh, man. Um, okay, my most embarrassing story. I, thankfully, have not had anything too embarrassing uh, but thinking back about my swim exit and T1 at Ironman Texas just still makes me cringe. As often as I tell athletes to walk through the transition area and know where their bags are, my mind just went blank as I got out of the water. I, I know I ran past my bag and bike gear at least three times, and I could not remember my race number for the life of me. Um, I had to look on my shoulder to remember what my race number was and then ask the volunteers to help for locating my bag. Like, at least you realize it was on your shoulder. Like yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that, that could have been way worse. It, it was helpful. They've got that printed there. It's like, it's like as coaches, we tell athletes all the time, like, like please, 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 like, like get to know transition get to know where your stuff is it's like we're not just saying that because it's good in practice like like you know we all come to that moment where it's like oh no exactly <laughs> yeah your blood's not going to be in your brain at that point yeah so jeff what about you what is your most embarrassing triathlon race story well mine goes all the way back from when i first started in the sport um that makes sense my first uh time riding with clipless paddles mm. so i had kind of earned, earned it you know done a triathlon without and kind of my beginning of my second season and so I just took it out for a test drive in the middle of the day um, put them on my bike clipped in a road probably five or six miles so everything was going good uh, I turned off a really busy road into a neighborhood I was going to just turn around and come back out right home 
And so I'm turning around in the neighborhood and I couldn't turn sharply enough um, between these houses on, the, on this road. And I was about to hit the curb. Um, I couldn't unclip. And so I fell on, into their lawn. I'm in their lawn. My bike is still clipped on. So I'm on my back with my bike fully clipped in, sticking straight up in the air. So I'm on my bike, you know, look like a turtle on his back yeah. with my bike up. So oh, I'm man. trying to unclip, unclip and get back on and uh, get out of there before anyone saw me. But so they weren't out in their yard, thankfully, while this was happening. I didn't look. I didn't want to make <laughs> eye contact with anybody. I just wanted to escape the scene. You didn't want to know if they no, saw. No, so. I think for me, my, my most embarrassing story wasn't, thankfully, it was not seen by a whole lot of people, um, kind of like Jeff's. But um, I went to the porta potty, you know, before a particular race. And, um, you know, we all have to do that. Got to get that uh, pre res porta potty visit out of your way. And uh, I went in, and uh, I, you know, I just didn't think to check. Is there toilet paper in this particular porta potty? And so I go in. You know, there's an athlete before me. He he didn't. Uh, hey hey hey! Like common courtesy, all my triathletes out there, if you're the one who kills the toilet paper in the pre-race porta potty, let the next triathlete know. <laughs> For the love, let your fellow triathlete know that hey, there's no more toilet paper in here. So I go in there. I take care of my business. I go to find the. I go to reach for the the toilet paper, and I'm like, there's not any. Awesome. So thankfully, um, I'm wearing. I was wearing a tank top. I wasn't wearing my race gear at the time, <laughs> and so I just took uh, my, my favorite black tank top and uh, just kind of used it uh, instead. <laughs> and I, I came out and um, uh, I was I was holding it by a clean portion, thinking, okay, let me find a trash can to throw this away in. And my wife was like, oh, here, I'll take that from you. I'm like, no, 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 no. no. And she's like, she's like, you don't want to like throw it, throw it in the bag. I'm like, no, we need to burn this. Like this, this tank top is no longer. And so I embarrassingly had to tell her what had happened. And she was like, well, we can take it home and wash it. She knew I loved this tank top. It's like, no, no, it's, it's forever, forever done. So, but now did you give the common courtesy to the guy in line behind you? Did you let them know? Did you give them a heads up? I honestly was probably so shell-shocked about what had just transpired. I do not recall doing so. So oh, if no. anybody if anybody out there, if someone's listening, and you're like, this sounds really familiar, I might have been that guy. Like, uh, I, I may not have told that person. I'm not really sure, to tell you the truth. Um, hopefully I did. I like to think that I did. But, you know, in the heat of the moment, you, uh, you just never know. On to the main set. Going in three, two, one. Our main set today is brought to you by our good friends at UCAN. Here at TriDot, we are huge believers in using UCAN to fuel our training and racing. In the crowded field of nutrition companies, what separates UCAN from the pack is the science behind their superstarch, the key ingredient in UCAN products. While most energy powders are filled with sugar or stimulants that cause a spike or crash, UCAN energy powders, powered by superstarch, deliver a steady release of complex carbs to give you stable blood sugar and provide long-lasting energy. UCAN also offers tasty and refreshing hydration mixes and energy bars for when you are on the go. When I was new to UCAN, my first purchase was their perfectly named Tri-Starter Pack. It's the best way to discover what super starch-powered UCAN products are best for you. So head to their website, generationucan.com, and use the code TRIDOT to save 15% on your entire order. Listen, unless your name is Lucy Charles Barclay or Josh Amberger, chances are there is room for improvement in your swim splits. So today I've asked two of our TriDot experts in the swim to help us address the eight common barriers keeping triathletes from improving their swim form. 
So, Jeff, Elizabeth, let's dive into barrier number one. Many triathletes attempt to improve their swim by just throwing more volume at it. After all, if I swim more, I'll eventually start swimming faster. Elizabeth, why is this a barrier? This is a very common barrier um, and one that I was guilty of myself as a beginner triathlete. Swimming more often with bad technique just makes you really good at doing it incorrectly. Um, You're reinforcing those bad habits. Now, beginners may see some initial gains in in speed, not necessarily form, but then they're going to quickly plateau. The improvements in the swim are often limited by technique, not fitness. So increased volume while neglecting technique is unlikely to produce those improvements. Yeah, I I was kind of like you. You know, you talked about how when you first came to the sport, like that's an easy thing to believe because with the run and bike, you know, you you will see improvement just by doing it more. You know, you can do it smarter and improve even better. But Mm -hmm. with, with the swim especially, that's not the case. I remember for me, the light bulb moment, I was at a local sprint race and there were some youth kids there doing the local sprint race. They, 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 were, they were 13, 14, 15-year-olds. And I remember the top swim time from that particular race was from a 13-year-old youth elite girl. And I remember thinking to myself, like, like clearly it's not about getting stronger back and arm muscles. Clearly it's not about, you know, aerobic capacity per se because, like, all of those boxes, like, like I win over a 13-year-old girl as an adult male. It's just, that's just, you know, biology. But she, she beat me in a local sprint by minutes in, in, in the swim. And, and it was that light bulb moment of, oh, my gosh, like, I can't just swim more. I can't just, like, get stronger in my upper body. Like, like there's got to be something technical here that she knows that I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so that, that's exactly right, that that's a barrier that um, keeps us. So, so I encourage you, you know, if, if you're out there, like, really, really hear that. Um, because, I, you know, we, we hear at Tridot, we hate to see you taking your training hours and, and throwing more hours at something and not seeing the results. So thanks for, for breaking down barrier number one, Elizabeth. So once we move past that one, barrier number two, an athlete may be keenly aware of a specific technique adjustment they need to make, but they don't build their form in the proper sequence. Jeff, talk us through this barrier. Yeah, this is very important. Like you said, form is so important to swim, unlike or in a far greater degree than the, the bike and the run. And swimming is like, it's like building a house. You have a foundation, then you build a first floor, then the second floor, then you put the roof on. And it has to be done. You have to develop develop it in that way. There's a lot of ways to break down your swim form from, from start to finish. Um, in some broad categories, uh, you start with your, your balance, your head and body position. So how are you balanced in the water? What is that orientation like? Then there's the roll from side to side as you're stroking. Then you have the overwater recovery of your arm. And then the last phase, your catch and your pull. And each of those can be, you know, drawn down to, to smaller um, subparts, subcomponents. But when you're when you're working on your swim training, if you try to address something um, that's more advanced, like a second story, and you haven't you don't have a firm first foundation, your foundation is not built yet, uh, then you're not going to have success because each one requires the prior one uh, in order to develop it it correctly. So you have to be very purposeful and intentional. I know when I very first started swimming, I'd swim recreationally forever, but again, 17, 18 years ago, I just started swimming and I went through a program and the light bulb moment went off. It was someone telling me, like literally getting in my face, so listen, <laughs> this is how important this is. And I remember I was swimming, it was a sprint triathlon and I was, uh, I'd done a, it was a 300, I swam, I can't remember, it was a 730, um, just 
trying it out um, to yeah. see what I could do. Okay, I'm first time in the pool, so I'm at 7.30. And then um, the guy told me just how important it was, um, said, gave me a program, kind of wrote out, here's what you should do in this order. And I took it literally. I didn't swim a full stroke of swimming uh, for, gosh, it had to be five or six weeks. All I did was I went in for 30 minutes, two or three times a week, and practiced the first drill yeah. until I mastered the first drill. Then I went to the second drill until I mastered the second drill and went through that same progression, the body position, the roll, the breathing, the over, um, overwater recovery, arm recovery, then the catch and pull. At the end of that time, doing nothing else but that, I did a 300 in 530. So I took wow. two minutes off my 300 and about four or five weeks doing nothing but the drills. The fitness came a little bit, but that it was the resistance. The water is eight time, 800 times denser than air. Wow. And so making that change, and the first time I did the 730, I was so gassed, I couldn't get out of the pool. My arms were throbbing, and I was literally, I could not get myself out of the pool. Yeah. The second time I did the 530, um, and I was ready to go. I was ready to jump up, and I felt great. And so it was just the the importance of that, but making that dramatic of, uh, of a progression uh, was because each layer built on a, a firm foundation of the previous layer. And so athletes need to be aware of that sequence. And when they're, they're in the water, if they haven't been um, trained or instructed on here's how, to, how to, to develop those first core things, they're likely to have uh, very limited success, you know, working on tweaking the second story or the roof when their foundation uh, isn't, uh, isn't what it should be. It isn't firm or isn't correct. And uh, likewise, if um, they, they come in and try to make a change to the foundation, then everything after that needs to be adjusted. It's like if you have a house and, and your, your form is what it is and you go to make the, the foundational change, move the, found, the slab, you know, 20 feet to the east or west, everything above it has to change. All of that can't stay the same. And so realizing when you make those fundamental changes, you need to allow the time to develop all of those corresponding adjustments after that, when your orientation changes because your your foundation changes. Yeah. So it needs to be very purposeful, your focus, intentional, strategic, and sometimes, uh, most of the time for athletes, they don't know where that 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 focus should be, what to prioritize, where yeah. when is mastery achieved, when is because be we perfect. we all we all read different things, right? Yeah. And, and so someone might know. Yeah, I, I think one time I read somewhere where a, a pro triathlete was like, oh, the, the number one thing you can do is like fi fix, you know, really focus on your pull, like what's happening underneath the water. And then yep. someone else will say, oh no, and and open water swimming especially, you need to focus on what's happening over the water. And, and so you read all these different things, and you're, yep. and you're like, okay, well, I know I know I need to fix my catch, but and then someone can even fi fix their catch. And to your point, if they're focusing on their catch, but they haven't mastered body roll, right. and they haven't mastered body Breathing. position, they haven't mastered how to breathe, <laughs> right. like it, you're, you're doing it out of order. It, exactly. Yeah. And so, so if they work on that advanced skill and then ever come back to the first skill, all of that needs to be relearned. And, and people people just take it out of order and, and wonder why they're not seeing the improvement you saw with, with hey, just taking the time to do it um, and working through the steps and processes. You can shave minutes and minutes and minutes off. Um, but it takes time, people. It takes time. And so let's move on to barrier number three. That was that was super enlightening right there. I mean, day one triathlete Andrew Harley needed to hear that. So um, too bad the po the triathlon podcast wasn't around uh, <laughs> when, when I started as a triathlete. So barrier number three: an athlete will correctly spend time focusing on a specific change to their swim stroke they know they need to make, but not enough time for the new change to become muscle memory. Jeff, talk talk to us about this barrier. Yeah, this one goes hand in hand with the other one. So, okay, now you know that there is a strategic, purposeful way to address your, your swim training. You want to build your form. You want to build your foundation, have it be solid before you go to first story, second story in the roof. 
Um, and so realizing that habituation takes time. So there's different, at, different athletes that can learn, like we can learn things and understand what yeah. should be done, but you have to be as patient as your, your muscles will uh, achieve muscle memory. And so as you're, and it just takes repetitions and it takes time and you have to do it over and over and over. There's a, a cycle of skill development that's called unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence, conscious competence, and then unconscious competence. Which is where you got to get. So that's a <laughs> mouthful. So you're starting out, you don't even know what you're doing wrong and you're yeah. doing it wrong. And then there's a point at which you, you know what to do right, um, but you're consciously doing it wrong. And then, so that's kind of where you start. Now you're doing a form. Now you're doing your form. Now you're doing it correctly, working on a drill or an aspect of your stroke, but you have to consciously concentrate on it. If you're not concentrating on it, you backslide and you go back to improper yeah. form. And so that's where athletes spend a lot of times that conscious competence. They can do it correctly if they really focus on it and they don't spend a long enough time there. Um, it can be a lot of things. It could be the rest of their training. So they'll do drill for you know, 30 minutes, a couple times a week, 20 minutes, 15, and then they'll spend another two or three hours swimming, doing it incorrectly because their mind's drifting on all these other things. Yeah. So they're spending but, but, 10% but in of their, their time. But their mind, they think they've gotten it. Yeah. Because they've gotten it when they're thinking about it. Correct. Yeah. But they don't realize muscle memory is happening that whole time. And so 10% of their time, they're doing the correct muscle movement, movement pattern. And then the other 90% of the time, they're not. So they're actually detraining. They will not improve their muscle memory because 90% of their time is spent doing it wrong. Uh, so I think one of the, one saying is, you know, every stroke you take either makes or breaks great swim form. So every single stroke in the warm up, in the cool down, in your main set, whatever you're doing, you have to do it right or you're not going to have progress. And every stroke that you take that's not right, you're detraining yourself. I, I had a buddy of mine in college. Um, he he went to a golf academy because he wanted to be a golf pro, you know, a local golf course. And um, and he, he he would always say that about going to the driving range. He was like a, a good golfer. He's like, you know, we'll never go to the driving range without a specific thing to be working on. Absolutely. Because if you're just going out there hitting balls, like what, like what are you doing? You're not doing anything to improve your stroke. You're not doing anything to improve your game. That's probably the best analogy. Swim technique yeah. improvement to golf technique. Yeah. Swing stroke. So if you're if you're going to the pool and you don't have, okay, I know I need to start at the foundation with body position. And if you don't work on body position long enough to get it to where it's just you've got it without thinking about it. You're not going to don't move on. Yeah, it's not. And because most importantly, if I think if you, because I've seen this in myself, if I right now I'm really working on my my you know hand entry into the water, you know I I can really get that arm entry you know going going really smooth and really well to set up the catch when I'm thinking about it. Well, guess what? You're on race day, you're not really thinking about it. There's so much going on around you with other people's bodies and the course and the next buoy and and you know if if, if it's not unconscious like like you've got it automatically like. You're going to totally throw it out it's the not window there. on race day. It's not there. You haven't developed it until you're doing it when you're not thinking about it. Yeah, that, that's good stuff. Um, hey, let's go to barrier number four after that one. Uh, and, and this is really important, too. Selecting the wrong period in the season for the type of improvement they're looking to make. Elizabeth, talk to us about why this is a barrier. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, you'll notice that this also relates a lot to what we were just discussing with muscle memory. Um, and kind of the time that you have available. So one of the things that athletes really need to consider is their goal and their current training phase. Um, so for example, you know, do you have an Ironman race that's five to six weeks away? If so, you might be able to make some small tweaks, some minor adjustments 
but you're not going to be able to lay that new foundation in that short amount of time. Um, or is it, you know, the off season, the preseason where the long swims and the higher volume are not required. You maybe have the opportunity to kind of do the overhaul of your swim technique and start down at the foundation. So the time available until your next event is really going to determine what type of correction can be achieved prior to race day. Um, so, you know, you need to allow yourself enough time to create that muscle memory, if you're going back to those foundational skills, making sure that you can really commit to this so that you have the opportunity to be unconsciously competent in your swim stroke. So what you're saying is, for the triathletes out there listening, what they should not do is wait until four, five, six weeks out from their full distance Ironman and say to themselves, hey, you know what? I've got an Ironman coming up. I should probably have my swim stroke looked at. And they go to a coach because, hey, coach is supposed to fix my swim stroke, you know, saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to invest in this. It's going to pay off big on race day, 2.4 miles swim. If I make a few a few little tweaks, huge time improvements. Four, four five, six weeks isn't enough to do that, is it? It's enough to make some changes. Yeah. Um, but, but not really too substantial. And it depends. There's a matter of degrees. Um, uh, for the particular athlete, if the athlete's a moderate, you know, intermediate swimmer, they're not going to make a whole bunch of gains. I think someone that is that foundational, they could make a foundational change if that's what their focus is, yeah. and they could have a pretty big, uh, pretty big impact. Um, but for the most part, people doing an Ironman, doing that longer course, they've been training for a while, and they already have a whole bunch of uh, established muscle memory already that's incorrect, and so it's going to take generally a lot longer uh, to establish that. Jeff, for our athletes that train with TriDot and are familiar with the training calendar and training optimization, how does TriDot already kind of help athletes order the training correctly without them even realizing it, like to optimize for performance on race day? Yeah. So there's, there's a couple things I'll just hit on one of them. There's one, it's a swim form diagnostic. So it categorizes athletes, uh, into sw six different swim forms, um, and has the very typical corrections that they need to make. There's really, you know, those very distinct, um, classical swim forms. Um, and so all of the, the drills are focused on what that particular athlete needs to do. And it's not just an absolute fall squarely in the center of one of those six buckets, but there's degrees within the buckets, like to what degree are they this form or that form? Um, and those, what changes need to be made. But in the, in the season planner, you drop a race on there. Uh, Tridot's going to look at how long do you have? What is your swim form? What is your ability? How fast are you? To what degree do you need to make these changes? And then also, where are you in relationship to your next race? And how long is that race? So if you have a race that's coming up that's six, seven weeks away, it's going to do the, the most impactful improvements for your, your drill, your mm. swim drills, and optimize them for that time period of improvement. Whereas if you had a 20-week training phase, it's going to go spend a lot more time on the fundamentals before you, you progress further. You're going to spend... In each of those stages of swim development, you're going to uh, spend more time in all of those. So that's being optimized um, just kind of behind the scenes. And so you just show up and, and do the workouts. And, and again, I, th I think, you know, athletes, and we, we will certainly talk about this more on, on other podcasts, but, you know, try out athletes, you know, see their, their swim sessions, you know, come through on their portal or on uh, in their email. And, and all, all those drills are there for a reason. Yep. You know, the, the drills that are prescribed, the the actual main sets that are prescribed. Like it's, it's not just haphazardly rotating what workout you're doing, you know, on a particular nope. day. Like they, yeah, they it's not a, a simple rotation. As a matter of fact, when you, when we design 
the the warm-ups those are customized the drills the drill sets and the main sets um, according to your ability to swim form race distance all of those different things there's more than 22 million different swim sessions <laughs> that you could have uh, within TriDot. all those are dynamically created um, for every single scenario and combination so it's ex extremely granular yeah. and specific to that athlete all right, barrier number five. We're working our way through the list, hoping that our athletes out there listening can apply these tips to their own swim training. Barrier number five, a well-intentioned triathlete finds a list of drills online or in a YouTube video and starts working on these drills in their swim training. Elizabeth, why is this a barrier? Yeah, so um, athletes will, will do generic drills that are often the wrong drills for them. So we were just talking about, you know, the swim form diagnostic and, and a lot of swim technique is going to be specific athlete by athlete. Yeah. Um, so if an athlete goes and they just Google improve my swim technique, they're going to find suggestions, drills from a number of sources and possibly, you know, some that aren't very reputable. Um, as they're looking for improvement, they, they're just looking for any type of improvement. As we've kind of discussed, there there is that diagnostic element, though, to improving swim form. And so an athlete needs to address the areas for their personal improvement. They could be spending a lot of time doing drills that are not beneficial to them. So, Jeff, for an athlete out here, you know, they, they just heard what Elizabeth said. They've, they've heard all the things we're talking about. Like, like how, how can they know, clearly I need to be doing drills. Clearly I need to be, be sharpening up you know, certain parts of my technique, how can they know what are the right drills for them? Well, obviously they can get a, a swim coach to actually look at them and give them that visual feedback right there. TriDot also has a, I mentioned before, the swim form diagnostic where you answer some questions, it looks at your swim performance and you enter some some data and it'll, it'll list there, here's the drills, here's the corrections that you need to make and here's some of your tendencies and you read those and it fits you to a T. You're like, wow, that's exactly what I do. Uh, so it dials in on what those should be and then that data is used during your swim training optimization. All right, moving on to barrier number six. Athletes do the right drills, but they do those drills wrong. I know Elizabeth and Jeff have a few comments on this one. Uh, it's a big deal. Elizabeth, can you get us started on this conversation? Yeah, absolutely. So we've, we've moved on from, you know, doing the wrong drills and something that wasn't particularly personalized yeah. for that athlete. So at least now we have athletes doing the, the, right, drill. the right drills for mm -hmm. them. Um, but it, I mean, there's still a barrier here in that when you have the right drills, you need to be doing those right drills correctly. So to improve, athletes need to do the right drills right. Um, when an athlete is looking to make these changes in their swim technique, one of the first things that they need to understand is that they should not be fatigued doing drills. Um, drill sessions should be very form-focused, not... Not pace-focused. Right, not yeah. fitness-focused. So you don't want to turn... Elizabeth, my pace has got to look good on Strava. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. You know, consideration there. It will once you get the form down. Ooh, yep. touche. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, really, don't, don't turn this into a workout session. The fitness is going to come. And there's a lot of swim tools that help you do the right drills correctly. Well, Elizabeth, don't, don't get us too far ahead because you may not know it, but barrier number eight might talk about pool toys and uh, different ways to do swim drills. Okay, gotcha. So we'll, we'll, we'll save the swim tools for a little bit later. Um, but I, I know for me, like from personal experience, 
This is something that has been extremely beneficial to get some feedback on as I've been working to improve my swim technique. That when I know which drills I need to be focused on, I still require some feedback to make sure that I am doing those correctly. Um, so, for example, Jeff has worked with me extensively on my swim technique and my swim stroke. And one of the things that he had me do was, you know, move my hands out a little bit wider for my hand entry point. And he would say, all right, you know, Elizabeth, I, you know, move your right hand out a little bit wider. And I'd swim down and back and, you know, pop up the side of the pool, smile at him and be like, how's that look? And he's like, wider. And so I'd, I'd go again, you know, come back. Wait, was she doing it the exact same way? Just about. Okay. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's so common. Uh-huh. And, and that is a very common thing. And it really took, you know, some, some video feedback as well for him to video my stroke and have me, you know, swim down and back. Okay, now move your hand out wider. Swim down and back. He'd show me both videos, and it would look the exact same. Wow. And, so and my, it probably felt way different to it you. It did. It yeah. felt different to me. So my, you know kind of perception of what I was doing didn't necessarily match what I was doing in the swim stroke. And I feel like a lot of athletes also run into that, that they think that they are doing the swim drill correctly. You know, they think that they're making these changes, but they may not actually be, um, you know, just what I was saying that Jeff did with me, you know, videoing me as I was thinking I was making those changes. That's an excellent test that any athlete can do, you know, have somebody go to the pool with them just with their phone take a video of them swimming down and back then you know make a change such as moving your hand out a little bit wider see if you notice a difference in that video if so then great you may have that body awareness and are able to make those changes if not then you're probably going to require some feedback to make sure that you're doing those drills correctly and actually seeing some improvement from the technique corrections you're kind of targeting. I'd love to echo what um, Elizabeth said just about that proprioception and just really stress the differences between swim training uh, and cycling and running. Not only is the swim training, the technique is so much more important, but in, in cycling, you can look down when you're riding and you can see your body position. You can see yeah. the way your legs are moving. When you're running, same thing. You can see your arm movement. Yeah. You can see those things. When you're swimming, the most important arm movements are either behind you, behind you, up above, out in front. When your head's straight down, you can't see them. Yeah. And then and not to mention your head's down and you're rolling from side to side. So your frame of reference, your head, is constantly moving. And so you have this path that's supposed to be precise to have the streamlined you know, recovery, catch a pull. Um, meanwhile, you can't see any of that. So when you're trying to make um, changes to something that you can't see, it's incredibly difficult. That is great. Barrier number seven, many athletes are used to breathing on both sides and exclusively do that in practice since they plan to breathe bilaterally on race day. Likewise, many athletes are most comfortable on one side and continue to breathe unilaterally in the pool. Jeff, unpack how this can be a barrier to developing good swim form. Yeah, so there's a lot of uh, misperceptions about how you should swim, what's best, when. And so that, again, just like everything else, should be very intentional um, when, you're, when you're breathing. And race day doesn't necessarily need to be bilateral breathing. Say the longer the distance is, is best. You get like a third less oxygen when you're breathing every third versus every single stroke. Um, so it's a lot more aerobically efficient to breathe every stroke. Uh, however, if you were to always 
breathe unilaterally one side, always like always to the right side. If you're always going to do that, then you can have some symmetry issues where you start to favor your, your form deteriorates mm, over one time, favoring gotcha. one side. Never over thought about that. And so, um, there's a few things, uh, to think about here. One is when you're, when you're mastering uh, swim form, making a change, doing drills, it's best to swim unilaterally. So that's swimming and breathing always to one side, every single stroke. And when you're doing a lap there, you're able to focus um, repeated efforts, one stroke after another being exactly the same. To the right side, your balance changes minimally, and so you're able to repeat the exact same movement. They're habituating that movement for the entire length. And you know how when you start out swimming, you might get off and you gradually you know, dial it in by the time you're at the other end of the pool. Yeah. Well, if you're switching from the right side to the left side, you're changing your role, your body position, head position, everything's changing. You don't have enough repetitions of the same thing because you're constantly sw switching from the right side to the left side. So at first, just do the unilateral breathing to one side, master that one side. When you go down um, that lane, then when you come back, switch to the other side. And so you're, you're still doing an even amount of work on the right side, on the left side, but don't introduce uh, the, the dynamics of um, bilateral going to both sides until you've mastered the fundamentals of, of that stroke or that technique or whatever you're, you're trying to change. So, so the Jeff Boer endorsed way to properly do drills in the pool is breathing on one side, but switching that side with each length of the pool. Yes, with the exception of there is a point where the drill becomes switching. Yeah. And when the drill is switching and alternating that dynamic balance from the right side to the left side, then absolutely breathe to both sides. And finally, the eighth barrier holding you back from swim improvement. And I got to be honest, guys, this one is 100% me at the pool. An athlete uses their swim fins, buoys, and other pool toys incorrectly, or they don't even use them at all. Jeff, why is this such a barrier for people? Yeah, that's, this is a great one, too. I love this one. Um, we, I guess you, you preempted uh, Elizabeth talking about it a little earlier, uh, teased us that this is one of the barriers that was coming up. Uh, with the Because, again, this one is for me. <laughs> I wanted to talk about this. Yeah, well, this is, there's a lot of people that um, don't understand how they're used or really underestimate the impact of how important they are. Some use them wrong. I'm going to focus just on a couple. Um, there's a bunch of uh, pool toys that you can use. The, I'm going to focus on the, the fins and the snorkel. The fins is the most important by far. Um, so some people grab them, they just wanna swim faster, maintain their body position. That's not the purpose of fins. It, it does have, it'll help you with ankle flexibility. There's some benefits like that, but we're focusing just on that form development. The first thing that's most important, or that's very important, there's three or four that are just very, very important. One is it helps you to not fatigue when you're doing drills. So you're able to get across the pool moving uh, you, you generally don't have a lot of propulsion when you're swimming one-arm drills and some of those. So that gives you the propulsion. So with a lot less effort, you can get across the pool and back. And so you're able to focus on the form without just exhausting yourself, kicking really hard. Second thing, it, it helps you maintain that speed and the body position. So it keeps your uh, feet up more toward the surface uh, so that you're able to have an accurate body position as when you are swimming and when you're you know, stroking with, with both, both arms. So the worst thing in the world you can do is develop a form. You're developing your proprioception, all of those things that you're trying to develop, the whole purpose of the drills, but you're doing it with incorrect body position. So you're teaching us even, you're teaching yourself, even doing the right drill right with the wrong body position. So your whole foundation is askew when you're doing your drill. So, so, you're so building, even if a drill isn't about swimming with fins, swimming with fins can help you do the drill correctly. Exactly. Whether you're doing a single arm lead uh, drill, you're doing one arm swimming, you're doing the high elbow. There's all kinds of different uh, drills that you can do. Breathing in the pocket. 
Exactly. Correctly. Well, that's that's the next thing. So first okay. is just maintaining that body position, and so that you're able to um, have that proper orientation in the water. And so every all your reference points of your body, your alignment, head position is aligned, so that when you start creating the muscle memory of your arm motion relative to your body position, it stays the same. Second thing is that speed, and that's the bow wake, the all important bow wake, the the wake that happens on your head when your head is pushing through the water it creates um, that wake in the front of your head, just like a boat, and then there's the trough right behind it. And so that trough is where you need to breathe. So a lot of swimmers either kick really slow, even with fins, they don't kick fast enough, and so they're going through the water not fast enough and to, they don't have to that. create that bow wake, yeah. so they don't have the trough, and so now they find themselves over-rotating to get to the oxygen. So they got to get really turning their head to the right. side to get so that breath. Normally, if the bow wake is there, you have the trough to breathe in, your mouth can be lower, and you have a better, proper body position so you're breathing but without that you're training and again you're drilling teaching yourself from the necessity of having oxygen to breathe to rotate much too far or to lift your head up so you're either going to rotate over rotate or you're going to lift your head out of water to get to the water so you're teaching yourself you're creating that habituating um, form that's incorrect because you're not going fast enough to simulate the bow wake and the trough behind it that will be present when you start swimming um, with a full stroke. And so for people who know, okay, I'm not a fast swimmer. I, I know I am not producing that speed when I'm drilling. You would recommend swim fins, especially to help Absolutely. them drill correctly. Absolutely. Yep. So well, you don't this all goes back to the muscle memory that, yeah. I mean, you need to be doing that correctly. Otherwise, you know, if you're looking for that pocket of air and over rotating as you're doing those drills, then you're going to be over rotating once you translate that into your swim stroke as well. And tell me just a little bit before we go, you, you mentioned that the, the fins and the snorkel are kind of the one-two punch of the two that you feel are the most important. Uh, what what yep. benefit does a snorkel bring to uh, a swim, swim training session? Yeah, the snorkel, um, some of the listeners may not be familiar with that. It's not the scuba diving snorkel that comes on the side of your head. <laughs> There's these snorkels that, that fit, they come from your mouth, and they go straight over, like right over your nose and straight up the center line of your head and have a little brace on your forehead um, where they, they secure with a band around your head. And so that helps you not, it, you just basically factor out the breathing. Um, so if you're, if you're struggling with body roll, if you're struggling um, with your arm position during the, the catch and the pull, it does a couple of things. One is you don't have to worry about um, breathing if you're having trouble and you're also developing that. So you can you know, focus on those things separately. You're breathing on one hand and then your arm path on the other. Second thing it does for you, it allows you to keep your head constant um, in one place. So you have a, a solid frame of reference uh, for your arm motion, and then you're able to see. So if you're working on your underwater catch, your hand should be inside your elbow, the path underneath your body during your catch and your pull, you're able to see it more. You're not having to turn away um, to breathe mm, to the right it. side or the left side while the opposite. So a lot of athletes um, will have really good form on the hand that's the side that they're breathing to. Because they can see it. So if they're breathing the right, they see the right hand, and then as they turn to the right, uh, to breathe to the right, they don't have any idea what that left hand is doing. And so they're mm. creating that bad. And the same thing when they flip to breathe the other side, yeah. now their left hand is good, the right hand is bad. And so this allows you to see both um, both hands going through correctly, and more importantly than seeing them is establish that that muscle memory. And imagine that whole, the whole layering of the foundation, the first floor, second floor, all of that. If your head position is wrong, your breathing is wrong, whether it's not using fins and so you're over-rotating or lifting your head or you're not using the snorkel, um, as soon as you over-rotate, now the, the extended arm in the front is going to also over-rotate to your left side. Now that setup is incorrect for your catch and your pull, so now you're going to be pulling across your body you know, from left to right, right to left. And so everything, there's a chain reaction 
of flaws that happen, all starting with that, that very first fundamental foundation that you're, you're trying to lay. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. And with that, we're going to cool things down with a little race recon. No matter what race you're thinking about tackling next, odds are someone from the Tridot family can tell you all about it. Today, Tridot coach John Mayfield is fresh off his Ironman Louisville finish, and so he is primed and ready to give us all the details about his firsthand experience. John, thanks for jumping on just in time for the cool down. Yeah, it's my favorite part of a workout, so right on time. John, this was your fifth Ironman, but it's been a few years since you've raced this distance. What made you pick Ironman Louisville for your comeback? Yeah, it's been a couple of years since I raced Ironman. Um, I've attended lots in that time. I think uh, I counted 17 Ironman races that I'd been at uh, since the last time I had the privilege of crossing the finish line. So I thought it was just uh, time for me to get back at it. Uh, every race I attended pretty much lit the fire in me and yeah. gave me that desire. How, how can it not? <laughs> um, so yeah, very inspirational. And I've been there. And if you've been there, you want to be back. So um, it was it was a, a privilege and, and real exciting just to uh, get the wristband on and uh, be inside the ropes and all that for the first time um, in a long time. So I've attended Ironman Louisville the last couple of years and uh, just fell in love with the city and the race. And um, so when it came time to to pick a race that uh, I wanted to do, uh, it was definitely on the short list. And uh, I had some some athletes that I work with as well as some friends that were doing it. Um, great local um, athletes and some of our trial ambassadors in the area. So it was really just kind of a natural, uh, easy pick with everything everything aligning uh, for Ironman Louisville. Briefly talk us through the race, especially for anyone considering signing up for Ironman Louisville. What should they know about the course? It's It, it really is a great course. Um, this year, unfortunately, the, the swim was canceled due to some, some water quality issues. So... Um, I had actually really looked forward to a river swim. Uh, yeah. I've, I've done the open water swims in the Gulf at Ironman, Florida. Uh, I've done the the lakes at Ironman, Texas and, and Arizona, uh, but I've never done an, a, a river swim. So I was really looking forward um, to that, but uh, I guess that'll have to wait uh, for another day. I guess you just uh, have to go back and do it next year. Yeah, right? uh, have to have to go back <laughs> again. Um, so the course that I got to do, the bike and the run, um, both really high quality. Uh, especially the bike course. The bike course is um, kind of special, I, I would even say. The the first 10 miles, uh, which becomes the last 10 miles, are, are pretty flat. They, they go right along that river, uh, very scenic, shaded. Um, and then once that initial 10 miles, you really don't have any flat sections uh, <laughs> for, for a very long time, uh, which makes for a, a fun course. It's a, uh, I would say it's a fair course. The hills are rolling. They're not particularly steep. They're not particularly long, um, which is great for me. I live on the Texas Gulf Coast, so um, I, I don't train at elevation you, you or, can't. or elevation how, gain. How can you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't have, have the hills to, to train in. Um, that said, my, my training had me completely ready for that, even though I never had more than uh, literally 100, 200 feet on my 100-mile rides. Uh, and then went and did the 5,000 feet of gain at uh at Ironman Louisville so it's very possible to to train those train for those races um even if you live in the flats or uh never get off your trainer so it's just in about the specific training um that gets you ready for that it's it's a beautiful bike course it, it's through um Kentucky there's horse farms there's horse tracks it's all about Kentucky Derby type stuff um great crowd support uh out there all of the aid stations 
uh, were fantastic. All the uh, the tougher hills had had folks that were uh, kind of Tour de France Perfect. style cheering yeah. you up. Perfect. Um, and it was just a, a really enjoyable, really fun um, bike course. You know, you're out there for um, 112 miles, five, six hours, but really the time uh, passed by just because it was so engaging. Uh, there was always uh, seeming like another hill to, to go up or go down. Uh, something beautiful to see and uh, great encouragement from all the folks um, that were out there on the course. Uh, Run um, was a new course this year. So okay. uh, it's a new three-loop course uh, that, that tended to stay closer to the river. Um, which was which was great. It provided a lot of opportunities for uh, spectators. Um, and, and, I, and I've been to Louisville. That that riverfront is just it's it's beautiful. Yeah, it's a it's a very nice path. It's wide, uh, so there was plenty of room for all the athletes. And um, then off on the on the backside, there was actually some elevation that was uh, kind of a little bit of a surprise. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I thought I had done my my course recon. Um, and, and the elevation map showed a thousand feet of gain, but when we went out and we did like the first four miles, I was like, well, I, I just don't see it. So maybe the elevation starts wrong. Uh, well, I found it on, on a race day, which, uh, isn't you know, that always the case? Yeah. And you would have thought I'd learned by now, but, um, you know, it, it was fine. It was a good course. It was entertaining. Um, kind of had different feels, which I always enjoy that in a course where it doesn't all look exactly the same. And for me, especially with the three loops that helps segment. So there was the, the part along, um, the transition area, then we were down uh, through more of the neighborhood part, and then we got into uh, the riverfront. So those are the kinds of things that helped me just kind of mentally to, to, to break it down, eat the elephant one bite at a time um, kind of thing. And then, of course, the finish line is uh, just about second to none. Um, that uh, kind of neat is, is reserved uh, for the finish. So uh, you do the three loops, and then it's about um, – I guess it was about a maybe a half mile off of the loop to the finish line at Fourth Street Live, uh, which is a entertainment district downtown. Uh, okay, that so right in the heart is, of the city. It's lined with with restaurants and, uh, and and bars and just it's a great pedestrian area. So there's just I, I can't think offhand of a finish line that has has more noise, more support, uh, in a probably more party atmosphere than than that one. And that was really one of the things that drew me to that race. Was getting to to experience that. So yeah, once I made the uh, the turnaround there onto under Fourth Street, that's when it when it really got good. I'm glad it was the finish that drew you there, not the swim, because you'd be really sad if it yeah. had been the swim. That yeah, you, that that would have been do. a bummer. Well, tell me just just a little bit about the logistics of getting ready for race day in Louisville. Uh, how is the host city, and and where would you recommend future athletes stay? I, I mentioned before, I love Louisville. It's um it's a very hospitable town. You're you're in the deep south, and and they're living up to the southern hospitality. Uh, that they're known for. Um, I travel a lot, so I've seen a lot of these airports, and uh, Louisville Airport is one of my favorite. It's so easy to get in and get out of. Um, it's maybe a 10-minute drive to the Ironman Village, oh, so very it's, nice. it's very convenient, real close. Um, there are lots of hotels right there in the transition area, um, either uh, at the tra transition area or near the finish line. We're just a couple blocks apart. Uh, lots of great restaurants. Um, just logistically, it's it's probably one of the best on the Ironman circuit. John, before we go and wrap up today, what was your favorite moment from race day? Man, there's so many. Um, the To say the finish line would be kind of cheating and taking the easy route. Um, I will say I uh, got to see lots of, of friends and training partners out on the run course. Uh, there were moments where 
you see folks and they're, they're just having a fantastic race. They're crushing it. And you know, they're going to have a, a great result. Uh, I would say those were probably the highlights uh, for me. And those are the things that kind of fueled me and kept me going is, is feeding off that energy of seeing so, other so people e- thrive. Even, even on course, you're just in coach mode, just, yeah. just cheering on those athletes that you knew. Well, yeah. And, and I would say that's even beyond coach mode. I think we all in that mode. Uh, there was a great comment at one of the athlete briefings that said, it's your job to, to finish, but it's also your job to make sure that somebody else finishes. Wow, so that's great. I thought that was really cool. And, and there really is a special camaraderie when you're out there on the Ironman course of, of we're all in it together. And uh, yeah, we're trying to get to the finish line, but we want everybody else getting there as well. So uh, yeah, it's just a great source of, of fuel and energy just to, just to keep going. Well, John, swim or no swim, it's still an Ironman finish to be proud of. So congrats, friend. If you are listening and you are interested in more information about racing Ironman Louisville, head over to our YouTube channel, Triathlon Training, and find our full-length Louisville Race Recon webinar. There, John talks you through all the helpful details of the experience. Well, that's it for today, folks. I want to personally thank Tridot CEO Jeff Boer and Coach Elizabeth James for taking the time to walk us through overcoming barriers that hold us back in the pool. A big thanks to our friends at Generation UCAN for bringing us today's show. There is a reason so many of us at TriDot use UCAN, and it's because it's the best stuff for sustained energy in training and on race day. I encourage everyone to give UCAN's nutrition products a try. Head to GenerationUCAN.com and use coupon code TRIDOT for 15% off your entire order. Enjoying the podcast? Have any triathlon questions or topics you want to hear us talk about? Email us at podcast at TRIDOT.com and let us know what you're thinking. Again, that's podcast at tridot.com. We'll do it again soon. Until then, happy training. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to tridot.com and start your free trial today. TriDot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.